see everybody. I saw some of you last Sunday. Um, Jackie and I were in Bulgaria for about a week, um, and we got back late Saturday, and I really wanted to come to church and just worship with everybody, and so we made it back for the second service. So I saw some of you last week, but not all of you. And uh, Jackie and I are are coming to the end of a uh, more than a year-long pro- adoption process that we're in a part of. We've, we uh, were seeking a, a child with Down syndrome from Bulgaria, and we got matched with one. And so how the process works is you have to fly out there and spend about a week with them, and then you come home and wait a few months, and then you get to go spend another couple of weeks there and then bring them home. And so we're in that in-between time, not unlike... Um, the New Testament, waiting for Jesus to come back and get us. Anyhow, um, when I was here last Sunday, I, I mentioned that that week of ours and that travel, Jackie and I felt like, was the most intense week of seeing God do stuff, just one thing after another. just felt like God was showing off his ability to be in control of details and events in life. And so I thought I'd start just by sharing a couple of the stories. Um, we were dropped off early Friday morning at the airport. Thank you, Matt. And walked through the gates, and we were flying Delta, which is great. And the first, you know, there's people who kind of hover around those those computers that print off your tickets, and they try to help you out there. And so there was this lady there, and so we walked up to her, and, and she's like, let me help you with this. And so we did it. And so Jackie just blurts out, um, we're flying to Bulgaria to go meet our adoptive son. And, uh, and he has Down syndrome. And this lady just, bah! she got so happy. And so she starts talking and saying, my sister has Down syndrome and my mom is my hero for how she's taking care of her. And oh, you guys, this is so happy and this is so awesome. And so we got our tickets and we're taking our bags to the baggage check. And that, that lady follows us down the aisle and she goes to her co-worker and she's these people are so wonderful you need to hear what they're doing and so she starts telling everything that we just told her to her and the lady's like that's great and trying to not put the tickets on the wrong bag and and so we are just like this is amazing and so we had to go through the US customs border check because we we're flying through Minneapolis and so that that can be a little bit you know um uh, you want to have your I's dotted and your T's crossed. And uh, so we were going through there, and we got to the border person in the airport. And they asked, of course, where are you going? Well, we're flying to Bulgaria. We're, we're, we're going to go meet our adoptive child. And the border security person says, wow, I can never do adoption. Except I had a dream like two nights ago that I adopted 13 kids. It's those 13 kids from the news that have just had that really bad thing. And, you know, I thought... When I woke up after that dream, I thought, yeah, I could adopt a kid like that. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly why you adopt a kid, because the kids who need adopting, they need someone to adopt them. And so we walked away from that going, it's not often that the American border security people say, I had a dream about exactly what you're going to do when you're walking through there. So we were kind of stunned and we were like, God, <laughs> you know, you're, you've done a few things with dreams in the Bible before. And uh, so we were just sitting there to wait and then... Some people came in there who were, um, there's a pastor from Southland and his wife walk into the waiting area who we're kind of friends with through a mutual friend. And so I ran over there and I was like, hey, you guys look familiar. And we, we reminded each other who we were and hung out and they were heading somewhere off, but we were on the same flight. And so we talked about how it was going and we managed to pray together. And I think John received a text message that morning or something like that. And so 
that that was just a normal kind of day for us. It was just weird event, weird event, weird event going on. Um, that was awesome. Just stories of God kind of being in control and encouraging us. Um, so I'm going to skip over the actual visiting part because um, try not to think about it too much until we get young Timothy back home. It's kind of easier just to be working right now and getting things done. So we're we're in the airport about to go home. We had to get to the airport at 5 a.m. Bulgaria time, which was something like 9 p.m. the day before Canada time. And so we were physically somewhere in between those time zones and uh, cleared the security. And we're in just the waiting area where people load for their airplanes and so there's like 200 300 people in this room because there's a couple flights taking off just a few minutes from each other and so we're just sitting there and um this family sits down across from us so facing us sit down across this area out of this huge area where there's like a thousand chairs this family sits down right across from us and it's a mom and a dad and their down syndrome boy who looks almost exactly the same as the little guy we just spent the entire week loving on, except he's 10 instead of 2. And so I'm just like, you're doing it again, God. You're, you're showing off, and it's pressing my buttons. And um, so Jackie and I are sitting there, and we're like, oh, I wonder if they speak English. And we're doing that thing that we were doing everywhere, because some people could speak English there. A lot of people couldn't speak English there, where you just turn on your like spider ears, and you're trying to pick up one English word that they might say that might give you the clue. But you know, it was all um, Eastern European-sounding sounds coming out of their mouths. So we just thought, oh, well, there we go. And so we're just kind of watching this little guy do his thing. He's wandering around and, um, and just smiling and enjoying him. And all of a sudden, he sees us, and he just, like, runs towards us. And which, which, which was totally fine, except, of course, mom jumps up and is going to, like, get in between there so that, you know, we don't get made uncomfortable by her son, I don't know, jumping on us or just staring at us from one foot away or whatever he was planning on doing. And so she jumps up and says, sorry, or something like that. And so Jackie and I are like, right away, we're just like, do you speak English? (laughs) And she says, yes. And we're like, and so Jackie says, we were just, we just spent the week with our adoptive son and and he has Down syndrome and we wanted it that way. And she just exploded on us. She's like, my life is so much better because I had this is my son, and I don't, like, regret it at all. And you need to find out about this website. There's this great community in the States that, like, do so much research on how to raise kids with Down syndrome, and it has totally changed our life. Just even the last year, he's grown so much. And she's just talking, and she's like, do you know kids with Down syndrome are, like, the most emotionally smart people? They always know how everybody is feeling around them. They might not be able to talk, but they know exactly how you feel, and you'll never be able to lie to them about how you're feeling ever. (laughs) Just kind of like, okay okay, that's not usually how I live, so I'm going to have to grow there. And, um, and, and she's saying even more stuff like, um, oh, oh dear, I'm going to forget one thing that's really important. Oh, that their love language is play. Like that's, that's all they, they care about. If you play with them, you love them. And if, if you don't, they wonder what's going on. So it's like, okay, well, that's all we did for the last five days. And that's probably going to be the rest of our life. And that's okay, because I actually do enjoy playing. Um, especially if they're cool toys. So that's good. And so she was just like, just exploding with joy. And one of the reason I think, one of the reasons she was so happy, she said this thing, I'll never forget it. She said, I I knew something was going on with you guys because you were smiling at my son. And in my country, the thing that kills is nobody ever smiles at my kid. And I was just like, yeah, wow. To to have a 10-year-old 
with a disability and to, for the testimony to be that nobody ever smiles at my kid. And so, so we're getting so blessed and just even getting educated. That was like a university course worth of information that she gave us for free in five minutes before she jumped on an airplane to Barcelona. But just that we would be able to bless her so much just because we just enjoyed her kid. And God set us up to like extraordinarily be grateful for that little boy because we were just missing our kid. And so it's just like, I came away from that just going, okay, I, I, if there are such things as coincidences, God really knows how to line up a lot of them in one minute. You know what I mean? So we were just blessing God and and so grateful. And so, um, you know, there's a lot more stories. Jackie, I think, took four days to write down all this stuff, and it's still happening. Just God things, like going to a store to try to buy a bin, and the only bins are on the toppest shelf, so somebody needs to get a cherry picker. So you're there 20 minutes waiting to buy the bin, but when you go to the checkout counter to get the bin, somebody you know from church is there and says, why do you need a bin? And, you, and I will give you as many bins as you need for the rest of your journey for free, so put that bin back. And you wouldn't have run into that person except that you had to wait 20 minutes for the person to bring your bin down from the cherry picker, and now you've got lots of free bins. That was yesterday. So it's just not stopping, these awesome stories of God's kindness as we're on this journey. And so what I want to say to you today, um, and we're going to read Exodus 20, verse 17, and then something out of John is, um, as you hear all these awesome stories, back off. Get your own stories. <laughs> Amen? Like sometimes, you know, you get the missionary in from church, and you're like, I wish those were my stories. Well, back off. Get your own stories. You've got a God who is just as good at making awesome stories of God's glory in your life as in anybody else's life. So you don't need to be jealous for a second of what's happening in our lives. Get your own stories by following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about um, coveting, and I want to talk about how God really does want to fill our church and our lives with unique stories of his glory as we follow him. So I'm going to read some scriptures and then we'll pray. Exodus chapter 20, this is the Ten Commandments. The last of the Ten Commandments, God God says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 21, Starting in verse 18, Jesus is talking to Peter as he's restoring him. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you would dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved following them. I'm going to skip down to verse 21. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Father, I I love you so much. It's just such a joy to be sharing all the good things you have done. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to do this. Would you act this morning because you're alive? You're not just some ideas. You're not just a bunch of rules. You're not a philosophy. You are the living God who has sent his living son into the world to die and rise again into an eternal life and to send the living spirit into the world 
to do your purposes, to spread the knowledge of God throughout the world, to uh, save a people for your glory, and to, at the right time, come back and renew the universe. God, you're alive, and I pray that you would set us free from having covetous hearts so that we can know you and follow your Son freely in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I've really been enjoying the Ten Commandments, which is maybe something you've only heard somebody say for the first time right now. I've really been enjoying studying the Ten Commandments for the last few months, and it's for a few reasons. Um, One of the reasons why I love God's Ten Commandments is because I'm concerned about human freedom. Does anybody here want to be free? Do you like the idea of being free? Right? Uh, Yeah, most people do. If I just kind of sat you down and said, so would you rather be in massive bondage or rather be free? Most people would pick free. And the Ten Commandments are about being free. They start off with God saying this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he goes through the Ten Commandments. And so as these Ten Commandments are coming out of God's mind and being written actually by the finger of God onto those two stone tablets, God thinks that this is the free life. God thinks that this is the life rescued from slavery. Amen? He says, you were a slave. You guys were slaves in Egypt. You were slaves to the Egyptians. You were slaves to their gods. You were slaves to sin. You were slaves in every kind of way, and I am rescuing you. This is how we do it. This is how you live free. So loving the Lord is freedom. Worshiping right is freedom. Honoring his name is freedom. Being able to work and rest is freedom. Being able to honor your parents is freedom. Not murdering each other is freedom. Not committing adultery is freedom. Not stealing is freedom. Not lying about each other is freedom. And not being trapped in coveting is true freedom. If you don't have that kind of freedom, it doesn't really matter how much money the government sends you at the end of the month, you're in bondage. It doesn't really matter what you drive, you're in bondage doesn't really matter if you get to get a high high starting in the month of July. You're stuck. So I care about freedom. I also care about love. Does anybody here want to be a loving person? Dudes, you have to put your hands up or your wives are mad. Okay. Yeah, most of us would rather be loving people than like sour grinches and monsters. Well, this is what Paul says about the Ten Commandments. He says, oh, this is Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you not, shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So as we say, hey, we want to be a loving church, I want to be a loving person, I want to be a loving father, I want to be a loving husband, I want to be a loving pastor. Um, one of the ways I'm going to accomplish that by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit is by getting free from coveting what God has given to other people. And I like to think of it like this. If I said to you, I want to give you $1,000, would you be upset with me about that? Probably not. Thank you. Larissa actually gets the money because she's the only person who shook her head. There you go. You show up, you get stuff. That's how it works at church. And I mean emotionally and mentally too. I know you can sit here and tune out. I read a story one time about a guy who said he really liked church because it was the one time of the week where he could just put up his feet and have a nap and nobody would notice. That was nobody here. That was a few hundred years ago. And 
just to let you know, we, our surveillance systems are fully operational, and I'll invite you for coffee later. So you want a thousand bucks, that's great. Now, if I showed up and I gave it to you in a stack of 50s, would you be upset? Now, I wanted a thousand bucks. These are 50s. I don't want it. Well, if you count all those 50s, it adds up to a thousand bucks, right? If you take the sum of all those $50 bills, it adds up to a thousand dollars. And what Paul is saying is, if you add up all what God has called us to do for each other, it is love. So if you're really loving each other, you'll do it. But just so you know, it's sometimes going to express itself by not hating each other and honoring each other physically and not coveting each other. So it's great to look at the Ten Commandments as a way of learning how to love each other by the grace of God. And think, how does, how, does, how does the commandment, you shall not covet, teach me how to love? And I'm also concerned about God's wisdom. God actually knows how people can live together. When God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, he wasn't just teaching them how to be nice people through the Ten Commandments. He was actually starting a nation from scratch. He was starting a brand new country from scratch. And he was giving them commands that were wise so that they could live together wisely. He's saying, if you can do this, it works. Because of indwelling sin in their heart, it didn't work. But it wasn't the problem of the commands. The problem was the indwelling sin that makes us actually want to not obey God's command. And Paul, I think it's in Romans 7, even looks at the coveting one and says, when I heard, thou shalt not covet, sin inside of me said, that sounds like a good idea. I should covet. And then I was destroyed. God comes with his son, Jesus Christ, and sets us free from the guilt of our sin. He comes with the power of the Holy Spirit to give us a brand new heart to change us from the inside out. And now these commands are actually something we can do by God's grace and be wise and not be foolish. So that's why I'm just giving you an introduction here. Thou shalt not covet so that we can be free, so that we can love each other, and so that we can walk in God's wisdom. Now, When you look at a commandment like this, there's usually a shallow meaning and a deep meaning. Anybody here want to be shallow? Well, there's only one person who laughed, so I'm... Maybe, let me think about it. Will I get my own reality TV show if I'm shallow? Probably. 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 There's usually a shallow meaning and a deep meaning. So, for instance... One of the things that Jesus confronted when he was on the world was that people were stuck in the shallow meaning. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, right? And people are saying, yeah, I haven't killed anybody, I'm a good person. And Jesus said, but I say to you, actually, if you hate your brother, you've already broken this commandment, you're in danger. So he takes it deep. He doesn't say, okay, so you've never like done a drive-by shooting, okay? You've never knocked off the corner store in Grunthal and accidentally popped somebody. Don't think you're wonderful. How's your heart towards your brothers and sisters at church? How's your heart towards people in your family? Do you hate people? Okay. So hatred is the beginning of wishing that somebody didn't exist so that your life could be better and more convenient. It starts off with just, I hate that guy, and it ends up with, I'd be happy if they were dead. So Jesus goes for the deep meaning, goes for the core heart issue. And when it comes to the coveting one, the shallow meaning is really just has to do with oxes and cows. So it's really easy to, to get this one on the shallow meaning. Because right now, I know that almost none of you have oxen. So I can't even do it. I can't even covet your oxen because you don't even have some. Cha-ching, check mark, A plus, I'm done. Some of you, anybody here have a cow? Okay, so there's not even any cows in the room, Okay. Now, a lot of you have wives, and I'm, I've got it pretty easy there, too, because i got a number one, triple-A, awesome sauce. 
boogie down. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm super content. And so I'm good there too. And fortunately for the ladies, it doesn't say don't covet somebody else's husband, right? So you got this, you can't, if you don't want a wife, you're good, right? So if you go shallow, 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 this, this one can appear very easy to do because we don't even have oxes and cows, right? But if you start asking the question, what is the deep heart issue here? Um, I don't know if anybody escapes. And actually, nobody escapes. We all need Jesus to rescue us from our guilt of breaking God's law here. I want to suggest to us this morning that, um, that Paul helps us in Colossians 3.5. He says this, he says, Put to death whatever is earthly in you, including covetousness, which is idolatry. And I want to suggest that the deep meaning of covetousness is that when I'm feeling like I am upset because somebody else has something that I want but can't have, the deep root meaning is God stinks at being my God because he's wrecking my life. He isn't good enough, strong enough, or wise enough to give us what I act, give me what I actually need, and so I am angry at him, and I'm also angry at you because you have something I need, and I wish you didn't have it, and I am hoping that something bad happens to you so what you have can come to me. Okay, there's a there's an unlove towards God. God, you're ruining my life and not giving me what I need. And there's an unlove towards your neighbor because I would be happier if you had less and I had more than you. That's, that's the deep meaning of thou shalt not covet. Okay, how are we doing for feeling like we're good people right now? And this is why I think that Jesus jumps on Peter in the story that we read. Peter was a massively privileged person. You know, you hear about the word privilege nowadays. There's such a thing as uh, apostle privilege. Okay. Apostle privilege, and Peter had apostle privilege. Number one, he was one of the twelve, so Jesus only picked twelve people in his earthly ministry to be his close compatriots that he was going to train to be apostles of his church. And of the twelve, there was an inner circle of three. You ever noticed that before? So when Peter, or Jesus goes to the top of the mountain to be transfigured, to like start to glow as bright as the sun, so his clothes look like lightning, did he bring up, was he, was he all about equality? Did he bring up all 12 and each one got 10 minutes to stare so that it was perfectly even? No, he picked three. There was an inner circle. Anybody jealous yet? Right? Anybody upset at the church leadership yet? Okay. When uh, Jesus went to go and raise that young girl from the dead, did he invite all 12 into the room to actually watch a human being go from corpse to living? No, just, just the three. And so Peter is on the inner circle of the inner circle of the inner circle of the inner circle. Super privileged. Uh, the problem is, is that despite all that privilege, he still abandoned Jesus when Jesus was arrested. And when Jesus was getting tried, he still denied him three times, even knowing him, calling down curses from heaven if he truly knew Jesus. Okay, That is pretty extreme rejection of Jesus. If you're standing there going, may God smite my eyes and kill me and make my wife barren if I actually know Jesus, when he is one of the privileged apostles. Is that bad? Can we just agree that that's probably a bad thing? If you're the person who saw the transfiguration, if you're the person who saw the little girl come back from the dead, and you're like, God strike me if I know Jesus, that's a little bit worse than forgetting your wife's birthday. Which is bad, right? 
Or even not forgetting but helping your friend move all day instead of celebrating her birthday. Guys, just lesson learned. Don't do it. Your friend, no matter what they've done for you or how many times they let you eat wings during the, the Super Bowl at their house, it's your wife's birthday. Okay, so you don't have to learn that lesson the way I did. But Peter has totally betrayed Jesus, and Jesus comes back from the dead, and Jesus is having this awesome interaction to restore Peter back to full service, because Peter isn't like raring to preach the gospel. He wants to go fishing. And so they go fishing, and nothing happens, and then Jesus shows up in the morning and says, how's the fishing going? They say, terrible. He says, try throwing your net on the other side. The net fills up. They can't even pull it into the boat. And so Peter realizes it's the Lord, and he puts his clothes on and then jumps into the water to swim to shore, which is usually not the way you do it, but he's really excited that Jesus is there. Okay, church? Sometimes doing the wrong thing is the right thing because Jesus is there, and you love him. Peter comes to shore and finds out that Jesus has made him breakfast. This is awesome. How many people get to say, the resurrected Jesus made me fish and chips for breakfast? And they have this conversation where Jesus keeps asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter keeps saying, yeah. And it's kind of like a reverse of the three denials. It's the three confessions. I do love you. And Peter gets restored back into ministry because Peter, Jesus keeps saying to him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And after this has happened, Jesus does this really, really kind of almost strange thing. He says to Peter, uh, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. When you're old, somebody else is going to dress you and take you somewhere you don't want to go. And what he's doing there is he's predicting how Peter's going to die. You're going to get executed which isn't exactly encouraging, potentially. Okay, so how many people, you believe in the Holy Spirit, you believe in words of knowledge or something like that, and you come to the front and you're like, speak to me, God, and Jesus says to you, yeah, you're going to die in a train crash. Would you be encouraged? Sorry, dude, brain tumor. Would that excite you? Right? This is, this is literally what's happening here. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Do you love me? Okay, work for me. By the way, this is how you're going to die. So it's this peculiar moment where Peter's confronted with information that he's not processing as a blessing right off the bat. And the first thing he does, it says Peter turns, so he hears this, and he gets this command from Jesus, you follow me. So, Peter, this is your future, you follow me. And how does Peter respond? Does it say Peter followed Jesus? No, it says he heard it and he turned. He turned and he saw John. That's who who it is, John. And he says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Do you get it? Do you see what happened? I want you to tell me about this person's life and how they're going to die. And when I get that information, I'm going to compare the two and I'm going to decide whether or not I'm getting the right choice and he's getting the right choice or I'm getting the wrong choice. They're getting the wrong choice. Could you please tell me what John's future is so I can decide whether or not you're a good savior or not, Jesus? Would you please tell me John's future so I can decide whether or not I'm going to covet that future? I can decide whether or not John deserves what he's going to get. I can decide whether or not you're doing a good job as the king of the universe. What about this man? So subtle. 
so subtle, you probably read that a hundred times and never noticed that's what's happening. Like me. So subtle. And I know that this is what's going on by how Jesus reacts, how he, Jesus responds. Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And he cuts off the coveting right there in that minute. Peter's saying to Jesus, what about this guy? Hey, what if it's my desire that he should win the lottery and become a hundred times millionaire and invent every awesome invention and be the most handsome man in the world that every woman in the world wishes that she could be married to and have ten kids and all of them are neurologists and he's going to lead all of Africa to the Lord and the entire nation of Africa is going to be called Jonica because John has led the entire nation of Africa to the Lord. He's going to be the greatest apostle ever and the richest apostle ever and he's going to die at 110 while skiing in Yale or whatever, Vale or whatever it is, he's going to go off the cliff and he's going to say, hallelujah, and then he's going to hit a tree and there's no pain and no suffering and straight to glory after the greatest accomplishments ever. What is that to you? If I want to do that, your job is to follow me. Amen? That's what's going on there. Anybody feel confronted yet? Amen. Because we do that, right? We do that. We, we, we evaluate. We compare and evaluate. Um, and we, we look around at what other people are doing, what other people have. And then we decide whether or not God is good based on what we have and what other people have. And if God hasn't been good to me, we are actually hating our brothers and sisters because they have something we wished we had. And guys, this, is, this goes all the way up and all the way down, all the way around. This isn't just like whether or not somebody else has the car I want or the money I want or the face I want or the hair I want. It could have been they have the childhood I wished I had. Or they've got the spouse I wished I had. That guy, look at that husband. He's, he's so much better than, you know, my husband never gets up and talks about how I'm a triple A whatever, blah, 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 blah. Or my wife never does it. Or my kids are always in. Everybody knows they're the loudest ones or the quietest ones. And and my parents, and, you know, I only got saved later. I got saved early. And, and, you know, English is my first language, second language, third language. I still haven't learned it that great yet. And and this thing and the other thing and the other thing. And you can you can look at anything. And you might even be sitting there going, I'm okay. I'm okay with other people having stuff. And my question for you would, do you ever... Imagine yourself differently and then covet your own imaginary self. Like you sit down and just be like, I, if I were just taller and my pectoral muscles were bigger than they are, I mean, they're already pretty ripped, but you know, if they were just even a little bit big, bigger or are braver or I had slept better at night, I can just imagine myself being a better version of myself. And now I'm upset that I'm not that better version of myself. And God has really let me down by not making me as good as I can imagine myself to be. That's coveting. That's wanting something God hasn't willed for you and being upset with him about it instead of simply looking at the Lord Jesus Christ in front of you and hearing him say, you follow me. Amen. Get your own story with Jesus. 
One thing I know, I don't know what God's going to do with your life. One thing I know is that if your life were a storybook, and it kind of is, God says that he's written down each one of our days in his book, and that each one of our chapters has a title. I know what the title of your life would be in a book. It would be this, the story of the glory of God in the life of your name here. That's, that's, that's the title of your life. The story of the glory of God in the life of Matt Vogt. That's, that's why you exist. And I know that. I could go through all of John. And, it, you know, if you want to have a great Bible study, just go through John and circle every time you see any of the glory words in there. And your pen's going to be very busy. But Jesus is looking at Peter and says, you're going to die like this. And John says, he did this to tell him how he would glorify God. And that's Jesus' motivation in every single minute of your life. He is ruling your life for the glory of God. Do you want that? He is organizing details so that your life would bring glory to the Father through Jesus Christ. And if we love that, light, we are free people. God, whatever happens today, I submit and surrender to you. Just please let it bring you glory. Do you think God's going to be like, eh, we'll see. I'm checking my Facebook right now. I'm just going to send some tweets out, some huge tweets. I'm a very stable genius, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, he's, he, he, all he wants to do all day is to glorify his Father through your life. And so let me take you back to what Jesus says to Peter, because I I let you believe that what Jesus said to Peter was bad news when he told him how he was going to die, when it was actually ridiculously awesome news. And this is why I'm saying it. If you're the kind of person who could be in Jesus' inner circle and yet totally deny him publicly, you may wonder if you're going to make it. Amen? Can you imagine that? If you're in Jesus' inner circle, you've seen the miracles and you've done the miracles. You've heard the preaching and you've done the preaching. And then you publicly deny Jesus in front of everybody. Even if you get restored by Jesus, you might be going every day of your life going, is today the day I deny him again? Is today the day I deny him again? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And so Jesus, after restoring Peter, says, guess what, Peter? You're going to die. A martyr for me. You're going to bring me glory by how you die. A.K.A. you're going to make it. If your ears are tuned in right, this is the best news ever for somebody who's totally denied Jesus. Don't worry, don't worry, Peter. The last thing you do is going to be awesomely glorious. And Peter's kind of like, well, what about that guy? He totally missed it. He totally should have heard, heard God saying to him, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you glory. I'm going to mar- get martyred for you. Okay, okay. So every day between then and now is going to be fine because I know it's going to end awesome. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Can you see what I'm seeing here now? That's actually good news. And so what I'm trying to tell you here this morning is that I want you to run your race just looking to Jesus and just start giving up on comparing to other people. Comparing to other people and comparing to what you could have even imagined your life could have been like. Maybe you made some huge mistakes when you were young. Maybe you've made some huge mistakes recently. And you can imagine your life as if you hadn't made those mistakes. Guess what? It's, it's all gone. All you can do today is follow Jesus. You can look at him and say, forgive me, I've messed up, take my life. I really actually do want you to glorify yourself in it and I want to follow you. Would you help me? And you're on track. Wherever you're at, you can get on track today by following Jesus.
That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. I, I, that's the whole thing. Follow Jesus. This is the Lord. This is why he died. This is why he came back from the grave, so that sinners like you and me can really, really mess up and then have him come and bring us back and just say, just stop looking at everything else. Look at me and follow me. And I will fill your life full of stories of my God's glory. You will have so much to confess about the goodness of God as you look to me, no matter who you are or where you've done or what you think you have and you don't have. Just follow me. Um, I want to share a, a little story, and it's not one of my stories. I was here last Sunday, and someone got up to share about what God was doing in their life as a click-and-save shopper. Is that what it's called? Okay, click-and-collect? Is that what it's called? Okay, got it. And, and, and she got up here, and she was just full of life and so happy because God was using her in a lot of ways as a click-and-collect shopper. And I was just sitting there going, you're preaching my sermon from next week. Because, look at me, if you go to Mission Fest... You won't find anywhere the click-and-collect shopper booths. Right? You want to be a great missionary? Sign up as a click-and-collect shopper. You're going to know what everybody in town buys. You can use that information to black that, mail them to church where they can hear the gospel. You know, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. But what I saw... I, so don't mishear me. All I'm saying is that I saw someone who was just not evaluating, but just beyond just, am I doing what Jesus has led me to do? And the answer was yes. And there was just stories of stories of being used by Jesus because you were just following. Amen? Joyfully following Jesus. Amen? And so I'm just there going, It's happening! And I know there's lots of people doing it. And so for some of you, this is like, yeah, I got this a long time ago, Rob. This is a really boring message, except for the pecs joke, which was okay. (laughs) But I actually think that a lot of churches struggle with this. Have you ever felt like you weren't invited into the inner circle of something? Have you ever heard someone complaining about cliques at church? Is it possible that at the root there is coveting? Maybe God hasn't given you those friendships. Maybe actually those relationships would get in the way of you following Jesus. How do you know? How do you decide? Actually, all you can do is follow Jesus. Okay, have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I've, I've sinned too much? Have you ever heard somebody say, I blew it? Have you ever heard somebody say, my, my, my family background, I can't? Because if you had a different family background, then you could. And then it's God's fault that you, he didn't give it to you. And if he had given it to you, then you could actually serve him. But you didn't get it, so you can't. That's the logic. So I'm not trying to be harsh with anybody, except I am really zealous that your life would be full of stories of you enjoying what God has done, which means totally giving up, totally giving up, judging God's godness in your life and what he's done in your life and willed in your life or allowed in your life and just saying, today I follow for God's glory. Amen. And I'm not saying you can't deal with stuff or get prayer healing, as long as it's all working towards freedom and power and following and following and following. Amen. So why don't we stand together and Crin can lead, start leading the team, but why don't we just give ourselves to the Lord, amen? If you got hit by somebody, something, if you feel convicted, if you feel like God's shown you that maybe you have been coveting, resenting somebody because they have something, or um, disappointed with God because he hasn't done something you wanted, why don't we just give ourselves to him and say sorry, and give ourselves to Christ and just say, God, would you help me to follow you every day? 
Okay, you can stand as you want to. You don't have to, but you can stand as you're able. And I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of inviting God to do awesome, glorious things as we fix our eyes on him, rejoice in the good stuff he does for other people, but not letting it phase us at all. Father, here we are, your people. Father, I've, I've found many opportunities to wish I had something that somebody else had and actually being depressed or upset with you about it. And Lord, I just repent. I repent again. I just know this is my nature. And Father, where people are bringing stuff to you where they've, they've, they've really been upset or they've let it ruin their day or a relationship, God, would you forgive through the blood of Jesus? Would you set each one of us free, God? The person who is free of comparing and coveting is free indeed. The person who is living their days just to follow Jesus and to be pleased in bringing him pleasure is the freest person in this room, no matter how much they have or don't have. And so, God, we want this freedom as a church just to be us and to do what you've called us to do. We want this freedom as each person just to follow you, follow you, follow you. So, God, would you do it for your glory and would you fill our mouths and our minds full of delight in seeing you act as we do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.